Let's stand together, Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 1 today, reading down through verse number 7. Reading down through verse number 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Today, I, I want to give you an overview. I want to, I want to, I want to take a 10,000-foot view or maybe a 30,000-foot view of the, of the book of Romans. It's more of a, it's more of, this is the message that's going to set up. I'm, I'm going to preach through the book of Romans. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, in, in 30 years of preaching, I've never done a series in Romans. And I asked myself, why is that? I mean, why haven't I preached through Romans, you know? I probably preached different messages, different passages in Romans, but I've never done a series in the book of Romans. And I think the reason for that is I'm scared of the book. I mean, it's really, really, it's really one of those books that really, um, it, 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 will, it will make you really think. It will make you really stop. It is it's sometimes even a difficult book to understand. The book of uh, Romans and the book of Hebrews, I think, are the two most difficult books in the New Testament. But I can't imagine the New Testament without the book of Romans. I can't imagine the Christian faith without the book of Romans. Romans is, the, is, the, is, 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 is as Martin Luther said, the purest of gospels. Now, we know that the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, the gospel, as I shared with you last week, is the event of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's what the gospel is. That's an event. It's what God has done for us. But Romans is the, is, the, uh, is the explanation of what that event means. It's the application of what that event means. And so as, as, I, as I preach through the Romans, I want you to know, I, honestly, I've, you know, I was taught that you never should do a series more than like six weeks long because people will lose interest. Could I just tell you that it's going to take a longer than six weeks to go through the book of Romans? I do not know how long it's going to take. The longest historical series on the book of Romans, by the way, was preached by Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he preached through the book of Romans, and it took him three and a half years. Could I tell you it's not going to take that long for me? I'm not as smart as he is, okay? But it's going to take a while, and I believe it's really going to be good for us. You know, when I think about, I think about the Christian life, I think about, I think we were talking yesterday in our, in our 101 class about spiritual growth. 
And there are some of us that grow spiritually, but what I call frustrated growth. You grow sort of taking two steps forward and three steps backwards. You grow, you grow because you are seeking your own will over the will of God and your growth in, the, in understanding and following the Lord is sometimes frustrated and sometimes hard because you have yet to come to the place where you have fully surrendered to the Lord and say, God, I'm all in. But even when you come to the place where you say you're all in, there is, a, there is a growth that happens in our life all the t- way to the place we die that I call cooperative growth. It's that growth that as we walk with the Lord day by day, as we grow in grace and knowledge of who he is, and we grow in understanding that we grow deeper and deeper in our walk with God, and we get to understand more and more. Romans is a book that every single one of us needs to know. Every single one of us needs to read it, study it, apply it, and understand it. And every generation has to do it because, remember, the Bible in its original form was written at a specific time in a specific place to a specific people. We do not live in that time or place anymore. We live in Bakersfield in the United States of America in 2022. So how do we take that word that was originally spoken all the way back there to Paul writing this letter to the the Roman church and applying it to us? That's what we're going to do. And I pray that God would help you to grow and grow and grow. As you know, I'm originally from Boston, and uh, one, of the, one of the great buildings in the city of Boston is the Prudential Center. It's a, it's a great place. How many of you have been to Boston, by the way? Raise your hand. Look at that. There's a few, few of you, all right? I'm going to call you guys all Bostonians, okay? You're my Bostonian friends. I grew up in this city. I grew up just outside of Boston at a place called Dorchester. Dorchester, you know. Um, it, it's, a, it's a great city, and, and this, this is a wonderful, um, wonderful place to go and visit, the Prudential Center. At the very top of that building is a restaurant, and above the restaurant is an observation booth. You can walk 360 degrees around that building, and you can observe the entire city of Boston. You can see the roads. You can see the highways. But as you look out across this city, what you'll discover is that this city is very densely populated. There are lots of buildings and lots of streets, and they're all very narrow, and they're not built on any sort of grid. Actually, if you go and try to drive in the city of Boston for the first time, I guarantee you, you will get lost. You won't know where you're going. Because all of a sudden the road will take a right-hand turn, then a left-hand turn, and then it'll curve a little bit this way. And they're all one-way streets. And they're all so narrow that they have have parking along the side of the roads because there's no other place to park. And then you'll find all of a sudden that a truck will double park themselves and the street will be blocked. And as you look at the, you look down across this city, what you discover is, wow, I don't have a clue where I am and I don't have a clue where I'm going. And that's how it feels like sometimes when you read the book of Romans. 
It feels like you are a little bit lost because you are, you are reading a scripture that is, that is theological, that is very logical in many ways, in Paul's minds at least, and, and you find yourself navigating terms, terminology that is not, that is not um, very, um, uh, you're not aware of or you don't understand the definition of them. And therefore, sometimes you can get lost in it. And so a lot of people start studying Romans and give up. And that's why a lot of preachers don't preach on it, including me. And so we're going to, we're going to delve in, we're going to dive into this book, and we're going to take it chunk by chunk and pray that the Lord would help all of us to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I got to Bakersfield, you know, one of the things that really blew me away was how wide the roads are. I mean, they are so wide here. I mean, you could put five roads on some of our roads that are in the city of Boston on the, on the East Coast. They're so wide and everything's on a grid. You know, it doesn't matter where you are. You, just kind of, you can kind of figure out where you are. Just, just drive down the road a little bit and you'll discover a road you know. And then you just turn left. They're all north and south and east and west. And basically, it's easy to navigate yourself around this city of Bakersfield. That is not what it's like to navigate the city of Boston. And it's not what it's like to navigate the book of Romans. And so let's look at the book of Romans and let me give you a little bit of background. Let me give you a little bit of, of a lay of the land so that as we begin to delve into this book, we can begin to understand it and begin to apply it to our lives, okay? So the first thing I want to ask is who wrote the book of Romans? Who wrote the book of Romans? That's a good question, right? It's something that... that you know, it's anytime you read something, you say, who's the author of this thing? And the first verse of Romans chapter 1 tells us who the author is. Notice what it says. We read it already. It says this. This letter is from Paul. It is from the apostle Paul. He is the one who writes this letter, it says. And he calls himself, notice, a slave of Christ Jesus chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach the good news. Paul says, I am a slave of Christ. His credentials, he doesn't even list them there. Now, as we know from other places in the book of, uh, in the New Testament, Paul was the chief, he called, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a religiously trained Jewish man. He was a Roman citizen. He was somebody that, that had preached the gospel and he was a missionary to around the world. He was the one who took the gospel after he was wonderfully changed on the road to Damascus when he was going to kill Christians, going to arrest Christians, going to stop the way of Christ. Christ stopped him in his tracks, changed his life, and but was, he was chosen by God to be what? An apostle. What's an apostle? An apostle literally means a sent one. One who has been sent. One who has been to proclaim. He has been sent out to preach what? The gospel of Jesus Christ or the good news. And you remember from last week's message. We looked at the heart of Christianity and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says of first importance. What is the gospel? The gospel is the death 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. And so what does Paul do? Paul is a proclaimer. He's an evangelist. He's not a pastor. He's not one who stays in one place for very long. He loves to go out and find people who have never heard of Jesus and preach and teach and tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's who writes the the book of Romans. But there's a little detail that is I found very interesting as I was studying for this for this series in chapter 16, which is the last chapter of the book of Romans. Because in chapter 16, he gives a whole list of all of the different people he brings greetings to in Rome. And one of the people that he says is this. Notice what it says. I, Tertarius, you know him, okay? The one, now notice what it says. The one writing this letter for Paul. So the actual person who wrote this letter down is not Paul. He dictates it to his secretary who writes it down for him. And he says, this guy, the Turk guy or the whatever his name is, said, this is why I don't want to preach Romans because I can't even pronounce the names. Send my greetings to as one of the Lord's followers. In other words, it was, it was, uh, he, was, he, was, he was writing the words of, Jesus, of, of Paul. Paul was either preaching it or teaching it. And, and, and here, is, here is this secretary writing down this, these words down for, for, um, for the Roman church. And I thought that was a little interesting detail about the authorship of of this book. Now, the letter is actually delivered by somebody else. Because if you go to Romans chapter 16, you'll notice there the very first um, person that is greeted there is actually a woman by the name of Phoebus. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in, in Centria, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you for she has been a great help to many people including me. So one of the helpers that helped the ministry of Paul as he traveled, one was a writer, but this woman was actually the the courier that brings the letter to Rome and actually communicates the letter to the Roman church. And so we find that there are several folks that are involved in this process. Here's the second question. Who received the book of Romans? Who is the book of Romans written to? That's a really good question. Who got this letter originally? Well, the Bible tells us in verse number 7. It says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter is written by Paul, or at least dictated by Paul, written by his secretary, delivered by his courier, Phoebe. And they get there, and it's going to the church in Rome. It's going to all of those who are loved by God and called to be saints. He is writing this letter to a church in Rome that he's never visited. And this is a very interesting detail. 
because most of the letters that are found in the New Testament that are written by Paul are either written to a church that he planted, that he actually met the people, he actually was in the location, and they received the letter after the fact, or he writes to pastors, people that he is actually instructing after he's met them and ministered to them. Rome's, Romans is one of the few letters that he writes in advance to him going there. He hasn't been there yet. He's actually writing to them and he's writing to a group of Christians. He's writing to a group of believers. He's not writing to non-believers. This letter is actually written to believers. That's why it's so important for you who believe in Jesus Christ that have received Jesus as your Savior to know the book of Romans because this is an explanation of the gospel. This is the doctrinal, this is the technical explanation of how the gospel fits in God's overall plan for us. So where, how did the gospel get to Rome is one of the interesting questions. If Paul didn't bring the gospel to Rome, how did the gospel actually get there? What are the roots of this church? Most of the churches were planted by Paul, but how did this church start? What is the story behind the church of Rome? Well, unfortunately, we don't know much. We don't really have much history on this. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about that. And those who are historians who wrote about this time doesn't give us a lot of money. But there are a few hints. Let me show you one of them. In Acts chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this is Pentecost, when, when Jews would gather from all parts of the world for Passover, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit fell. And here's what the scripture says. Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? In other words, the, the disciples, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to preach and teach and praise God. And all of these people from different countries and different language groups hears them, them in their own language. It's a miracle that's happened. It's the, it's the gift of tongues, the gift of languages in its purest form. And he goes on to list those languages. He says Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, 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 Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phygeria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. And then catch what it says. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Interesting little detail there that there were people from Rome that were there in Jerusalem at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit who'd heard the gospel that Peter preached. Remember that very first, that very first Pentecost, over 3,000 people were saved and a few days later another 5,000 were saved and in that crowd were some visitors from Rome and notice the, the, the parentheses here. It says some Jews from Rome and some Gentiles who had converted to Judaism from Rome. And so most biblical scholars believe that 
these folks that were saved in Jerusalem travel back to their hometown and start a church, proclaim the gospel, and they convert others who were Gentiles and Jewish in Rome to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a phenomenal thing that God was at work. There weren't, there's no explanation of miracles. There's no movement, great magical things that we find in the book of Acts that, that spread the gospel. These people just testified to it. A lot like you do. Amen. Testifying to the great power and love of God. So the church of Rome is a church made up of Jews and Gentiles. But there's one more very important piece that you have to understand before you read the book of Romans is what historically happened in Rome. Rome in that day and time was like the Washington, D.C. of our day and time. It was the political power center of the, of the world in many ways. It was the place where Caesar sat. It was the place where edicts were made. It was the place of power, the place of political might. It was a place that Paul wanted to go visit, but had never visited yet, even though he wrote this letter. And the scripture tells us that over in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, another interesting little detail that you probably would miss just reading the book of Acts, but it says this. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from, the, from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Notice it says, Aquila and Priscilla come from Italy. Where is Rome? Italy. And it says, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Claudius is the political power leader of Rome at that time. And at one time before this letter was written, Claudius had ordered all of the Jewish people to leave the city. They had to leave. One of them was Aquila and Priscilla. Which, by the way, if you go back to Romans chapter 16... The second person that he greets, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. So they have to leave and they meet Paul in another place away from, in, by the way, in Corinth is where they met. They leave, leave Italy and they leave there. Which gives us an indication that this young church, this, this church of Jews and Gentiles in Rome, at one time, some people in their congregation had to leave. Imagine if there was an edict in California that said everybody of Irish descent, you must leave the state. And all of, all of our Irish brothers and sisters right here in, uh, in Olive Knowles, all of a sudden they had to leave and move to Phoenix or Arizona or wherever you'd go. What would happen to us? We'd say, well, that's weird. All of a sudden, the, all, of the, all of the Irish people are gone. And then a few years later, you're allowed to come back. And that's exactly what happened. But this is, this is deeper than just a nationality because Judaism was connected to the Jewish people. And if you wanted to be a follower of God, you had to convert to Judaism. 
and you would be considered a convert, but you'd have to go through things like circumcision and all of the rites to become Jewish. And one of the great issues of the early Christian church was, do you have to become Jewish in order to become Christian? And that was the great fight in the early church where they came to the conclusion, no, you don't have to become Jewish in order to become Christian. God's gospel is for everybody. Amen. But here in the Roman church, you find that all of the Jews have to leave the Roman church and they're left with a group of Gentile believers. Paul writes this letter to the Gentiles. He writes to the Gentiles because he knows that the Jews have left Rome. Now they go back to Rome and when they go back, they're no longer in power. All of a sudden, they, as the Jewish people, enter into a Gentile church. It was always the other way around. The Gentiles were entering into the Jewish synagogue. And now you find that it's the other way around. And so all throughout the book of Romans, you find that Paul, who is a Jew himself, and also a Roman citizen, begins to address how does this new gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God that has come to, to all mankind, both Jew and Gentile, how does that intersect with the law, with, the, with all of the things that happened prior to the God, Jesus becoming human flesh and living us? And sometimes, and as you read the, gospel, the, the book of Romans, you find that Paul is talking about this issue and weaving these two things together. And trying to help them understand. So that's, that's another interesting detail there. Okay, here's the next question. When and where was the letter written? When did Paul dictate this letter to Rome? Remember, he wrote this letter prior to going there. When did he write this letter? It is pretty clear from most scholars that this letter was written Somewhere around the year 56 or 57 A.D. That's 56 or 57 years after Christ was born. In Romans 1.10 it tells us, I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. So Paul writes in the very beginning of this letter, He's saying, I'm sending you this letter, but I'm praying that God will open doors, that I'll actually be able to come to Rome, and I'll actually be able to meet you and preach in Rome. I mean, for a preacher who travels the world, the greatest place to go to is Rome. The greatest place to go to is, is Washington, D.C., I live near Washington, D.C., and on, there's one road that goes into the city that leads all the way to the Capitol and the White House. And on that road, you will find every single church denomination that's in the United States on that street. It's called Church Row. Literally, there's every single church imaginable and every cult imaginable on that road. And everybody wants to be there. And everybody wants to have influence. Well, Rome was a lot like that, and Paul wanted to go there. And then in verse number, verse number 11 and 12, he goes on to say this, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift and to make you strong. 
That is that you and I may have mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul wanted to go to Rome so that he could strengthen that church, so that he could enter into a partnership. Notice he says, mutually encouraged. In other words, Paul said, I want to come to Rome, not so much to preach the gospel because you already got the gospel there. Remember, he wanted to find people who had never heard. I want to go there because I want to enter into a partnership with you so that you can partner with me and I can partner with you to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to other places. When we have missionaries that come to our church, what do they come to do? They come to build relationships with the congregation that is here. They don't come to stay here. They come to build a relationship with us so that they can go to the far reaches of the world and preach the gospel other places. But they need your support and your encouragement. This is what Paul is alluding to. How do I know that? Because he said so in the book of Corinthians. He writes this letter from Corinth. He writes it from Corinth before he goes to Jerusalem, and then he intends to go from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. That was his intention. Look at what the scripture says. But now, this is, this is um, Romans chapter 15, by the way, verses 23 and 24. He says, but now I have finished my work in these regions after all these long years of waiting, and I am eager to visit you. I'm planning to go to Spain... And when I do, I will stop off in Rome. And after that, I've enjoyed your fellowship for a little while. You can provide for my journey. So what's he saying? He says, my intention, I have finished the work in the regions. What regions is he talking about there? He's talking about the region of the east if you look at a map, you'll notice that you have Spain all the way over here in the west, and you've got Israel all the way over here. And you've got Corinth in between Rome and, and, and Jerusalem. And you've got Spain on the other side. And Paul had been preaching his missionary journeys to, to places that today are like Turkey. All of the seven churches that are found in Revelations there. He is preaching to them. He is proclaiming the gospel and he's finishing up in Corinth now and he's collected this offering. You can read about that offering that he collected from the Macedonian churches that he's going to now take back to Jerusalem. And when he takes it back to Jerusalem, he's going to give them their offering and then his intention is to go to the place in the world that has never heard the gospel yet and that is Spain, which is on the far side. He's planning to go to Spain, and he's planning to preach the gospel in Spain. And on his journey to Spain, he's going to stop in Rome. And he's going to spend a little bit of time there. And you know what he's going to do? A little while, and you can provide for my journey. What's he going to do? Anybody want to guess? He's going to ask for a what? An offering. He's going to take an offering. He's going to take a deputation offering. He's going to actually ask them to participate in the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached to a different part of the world. He's going to ask for a partnership with them. 
And so Paul, writing a letter to the church of Rome from Corinth, he then is intending to go to Spain, but guess what? He never makes it to Spain. You know why? Because when he takes that offering from Corinth all the way to Jerusalem, he gets arrested. He gets put on trial. And they want to kill him. And just before they give the judgment, he pulls out the Roman citizen card. Oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen, and you can't do that to me. I want an appeal to Caesar, who's in Rome. And you know how Paul gets to Rome? He gets to Rome in shackles. And he travels all the way from Jerusalem to Rome, where he stands trial for his crimes of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He never does fulfill what he intends to fulfill in writing to, to the book of Romans, to the, to, to the Roman church. He goes there. And he, in Rome, he writes more of the gospel, more of the Bible. The letter to the Philippians is written from a Roman jail. But this is all happening behind the scenes of what's going on there. All right, what is the book of Romans? Let's talk about that. What is the overall book of the Romans? What is this book? We all know that who wrote it. We know where he wrote it from. We know what was happening in Rome at that time. Why did Raul write the longest letter that he wrote to any one church? Well, wait, wait a second. Corinthians might be longer than that. Let's see. I might be wrong about that. Let's, is Corinthians is... Uh, 16, and Romans is 16. I was right, okay. <laughs> they were about the same. It's about 12,500 words are found in Romans. It is, the, it, is a, it is a letter that is different than all the other letters because he addresses three different areas in the book of Romans. First of all, it's a, it's a personal letter. Paul writes this from himself to these people. He shares about himself in, that, in this letter. He talks about his own journey. He talks about his own struggle. There's even a place in Romans chapter 7 when he talks about his own struggle with sin, his own struggle and his own personal journey with Christ, in his own spirit of, of walking with the Lord. He is very transparent in his letter that he writes to the people of Rome. One of the things that Paul was trying to do in this letter is he was trying. Now catch me. I know some of you are getting lost on me. This is a lot of stuff, okay? Hang with me here, okay? Paul was trying to convince them that he had the authority to speak as an apostle. They didn't really. Paul was a controversial figure in that day and time. For us, we see Paul as one of the highest spiritual, godly men that was ever, ever converted. Of all the disciples, Paul is probably the most important person in all of Christendom. But in the early church, he was arrested, he was tried. He was one who tried to kill Christians. So people were suspicious of him. So when Paul writes to the church of Rome, which he considers the, you know, the center of power, he is writing to them and he's trying to help them to understand that he has the credentials and the knowledge to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's very personal there. 
and he writes in a lot of detail. He's also a Jewish man who's been trained in the law, trained in Judaism, who is now a Christian explaining what Christ has done. And remember, Jewish God, Jesus was a Jewish man as well. And so he connects the dot. But he is also one who was called to preach to the Gentiles. He's not called to preach to the Jews. He's called to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's a personal letter. Second of all, it's a theological letter. It is the most theological letter in the Bible. It talks about the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of who Christ is. It talks about the doctrine of sin. It talks about justification, sanctification, glorification. It talks about, about the law and the purpose of the law, and the meaning of the law, how the law applies in our life. It gives us a lot of theological information. Before any Christian theologian can write theology, they must study Paul. Paul is the foundation of all of our biblical understanding of what it really, what did God really do when he enfleshed himself, when he became a human being, when he died on that cross and when he rose from the dead. How does that apply to our life? Paul gives us clear theological explanation of that. And last, it is a practical letter. The very end of the letter, in chapter 12, there is this one word. It's like a hinge word. You know what that word is? Therefore. 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 In light of everything I've said for 11 chapters, let me tell you now how it applies to your life. And most people love to go to Romans chapter 12. They love to spend time in Romans chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14 because it's filled with practical, everyday instruction about Christian ethical living. All right, finally, we got the stuff that applies to me. But Paul has to get there by explaining it in great detail. And so what we have here is the outline of the book in Romans chapters 1 through 8 is the theological heart of the book. Most of the theological understanding is found in Romans chapter 1 through 8. Chapter 9 through 11, which by the way is the portion of this preaching series that I'm not looking forward to. Probably the most difficult to understand is Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. But it is God's plan for Israel. Remember, he's writing as a Jew now. There are now Jews in the Roman church. They've come back from their exile, being kicked out of Rome. They've been inserted back in, and they're like, hey, we're God's people. Hey, remember us? We are God's chosen people. We're the ones that, that God has always been in relationship with. And all of a sudden, the Gentiles are saying, well, you think you're better than us? And so Paul begins to address some of these underlining ethical or, not ethical, or um, um, race issues, if you want to say it that way. Tensions between groups of people. And how does it fit in God's overall plan? Paul addresses that. And then in Romans chapter 12 through 15 is the practical, ethical Christian living. And then Romans 16 
is a whole list of personal greetings. By the way, he gives more personal greetings in the book of Romans than all of the other books combined that he wrote to. Why is that? He never visited there, but he had met people on his many journeys that were from the Roman church. And he is now bringing greetings to them who are back in that church. It'd be like you meeting people in Nashville, in Baltimore, in, in Arizona, in Oregon, in Montana. You travel all around the world. And, you, and, and all of those people lived in a certain place, but they all came back to Bakersfield. And you're writing a letter to them. Oh, by the way, say hello to Ho. Say, say hello to them. Say hello to them. Say hello to them. And he brings greetings to all of them. So that's the outline of the book. Well, I want to finish up this message with the influence of Romans. Catch this. There are three people that I want you to recognize that were highly influenced by Romans. And you should be influenced as well. First of all, Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation. Here's what Martin Luther said. This letter is the principal part of the New Testament and the purest of gospels which surely deserves the honor that a Christian man should not merely know it by heart, word for her word, but that he should be occupied with it daily as the daily bread of his soul. For it can never be read too often or too well, and the more it is used, the more delicious it becomes and the better it tastes. Wow. You know who Martin Luther is? Martin Luther is the founder of the Lutheran Church and the start of the Protestant Reformation. It was Martin Luther who was a Catholic priest, monk, who was seeking to be accepted by God and realized the doctrine of justification by faith through grace. Where does he discover that? He discovers it by reading the book of Romans. His life is marvelously changed and human history, history is radically changed. The church is radically changed. 1515, folks. Well, let's look, read on. Because in, in the 1700s, there was a guy by the name of John Wesley. John Wesley he writes this in his journals. He writes this. He says, In the evening I went very unwillingly to the Society of Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preference to the Epistle of Romans. So what's he reading? He's reading Luther's preference. He writes about the book of Romans. It's like a commentary and he's writing about the book of Romans. They're reading that preface at this meeting on Altersgate Street. And about quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And I felt I did, not, I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. What happens to John Wesley? A priest in the church of England, a clergyman, hears the preference 
or Luther's preaching or writings on the gospel, on, on the book of Romans, the letter of Romans, and his heart is strangely warmed. I love that description there. His heart was strangely warmed and he got saved. Romans did that. Well, there's one more I'll show you. Karl Barth, 1886 to 1968. This is the founder of evangelical Christianity, which you are a part of. Christianity that began to proclaim and preach that Jesus saves a person. People like Billy Graham fall in this line. Billy Sunday. Some of the great evangelists in America today are all evangelicals that were influenced by Karl Barth. And what does Karl Barth write? He actually reads the book of Romans. And here's what he says. The reader, reading, talking about the reader who reads about Romans, the reader will detect for himself that Romans has been written with a joyful sense of discovery. The mighty voice of Paul was new to me, and if new to me, no doubt new to many others also. And yet, now that my work is finished on the book of Romans he's talking about, I perceive that my remains which I have not yet heard. Paul, Karl Barth goes on to say that his writings about the book of Romans actually was, was like a bombshell in the middle of the theological arena of that day and time. It radically changed Protestant Christianity from being a social religion that does social things that makes, just tries to make people better to actually proclaiming that you need a radical transformation by the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves you from sin. And that's what Paul was preaching I conclude this message, and we'll pick it up next week. I know it's long, but I'll conclude with the theme verses of Romans. Here's the theme of Romans. It's the, it's the launching pad of everything he says for the rest of the book. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because why? It is the power of God. For the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Amen? We'll pick that up next week and talk about what that means because there's a lot to unpack there. God wants us to understand what the righteousness of God is all about. It is the power of God to save you. Amen? Amen. Hey, we're not going to sing our closing song. <laughs> Preach too long. Whoops. Stand with me, would you? Heavenly Father, Thank you so very much for the book of Romans. Thank you for the word that transforms our life through Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus. The righteousness of God. 
Would you bless this church and would you help us to dig in with our minds and our hearts? Would you help us to be people who study your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's your homework assignment as you leave. You're going to read the book of Romans this week. The whole thing. 16 chapters. Amen. Read it with a pen. See you next week. Bye-bye.